Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Now, the question coming out of Saturday night was, could the national championship game be even better than UCLA-Gonzaga had been? Certainly, that was a big ask, even more so once that game started. Because within the first two minutes of last night, it was pretty clear that the answer was not just no. It was hell no. Because that was one of the most comprehensive and thorough beatdowns that I've seen in a long, long time. A complete hospital job, a total curb stomping, the likes that you never really ever see in a championship game. Like Baylor didn't just come out and punch Gonzaga in the mouth. They cold-cocked them. They shattered their face. And the Zags never did recover. They never really were in the game. Not really. And everybody knew it from the very jump. Gives it right back to Flo Thamba. Thamba inside, dumps it down low to Vital. Vital misses the first, gets his rebound, gets another rebound off a second miss and throws it back out to Davion Mitchell. Third opportunity as Mitchell dribbles to the right elbow. Jumper up and down for Davion Mitchell. 2-0. Baylor with a lead. Can't give either of these teams extra possessions. Westwood won on the call, and you knew from that very first possession it was going to be a very long night for Gonzaga. And then they follow that up with another offensive board on the next possession, and then a three, and then a layup. And before you know it, it's 9 nothing. Before Baylor knew it, it was 9 nothing. Before Gonzaga knew it, it was 9 nothing. And at that time, you might have wondered why Mark Few didn't call a timeout to stop that run. In hindsight, I'm not sure it would have mattered. I'm not sure anything that Few did or didn't do would have mattered last night. Because last night was merely a continuation of Saturday night and in the worst way for Gonzaga. Because Baylor picked up right where they left off in that beatdown of Houston. And Gonzaga looked like they hadn't slept since beating UCLA. I mean, Baylor from the jump was so explosive, so aggressive. They were so sharp. And they were fresh. They looked like they could have gone another 40 after that game ended. Meanwhile, Gonzaga looked like they were gassed from the very first minute. They did not look like they had played 45 minutes of intense ball on Saturday. They looked like they had played it Monday afternoon right before they tipped last night. So Baylor dominated them for it. The Zags could not make a shot deep. Baylor couldn't miss. And when they did miss, they just got their own rebounds. That was a big, big difference last night. Baylor, monsters on the offensive glass and killers in getting out and defending the perimeter. Gonzaga could not do a damn thing. Baylor did the damn thing, and they did it all damn night. Again, they knew Gonzaga was gassed. So they wrapped both their hands around their throats, and they choked them the hell out. At one point in the first half, it was 29-10 in the national championship game against an undefeated Gonzaga team looking to make history. I mean, you just know somewhere Mercury Morris was popping champagne at that point. Just because. Listen, Baylor deserves all the credit in the world for what they did last night. That was as impressive a beatdown as you're ever going to see in a national championship game. And the really wild thing to me is, it was not that long ago that these guys were still trying to find themselves. It was not that long ago that they were trailing Villanova by seven at halftime of the Sweet 16. Jared Butler, who couldn't miss in a Final Four, barely made a third of his shots in the first four tournament games, and he was even worse from deep. But when it mattered most, 
against Houston and Gonzaga. He knocked in nearly 60% of his threes, and some of them were even coming from Steph Curry range. Mitchell spinning into the paint. Nowhere to go with it. Backs it out now to Jared Butler. Butler against Kispert. Six to shoot. Three. Top of the key. It's Mm. good. Jared Butler with the three. Everything Baylor throws toward the rim seemingly is going in. Pretty much. And when you see that guy hitting shots like that, and then the juice that he was providing on defense and offense, it's no surprise that he was the most outstanding player of the Final Four. But as good as Butler was, I have no problem if they had given it to Davian Mitchell, if he had been MOP. Butler was a walking bucket. Mitchell was a walking clamp. He didn't put up as many points as Butler, but he had 16 assists in the Final Four. He was lights out on defense. And if you want somebody who sums up Baylor's defensive attitude and mindset, it's Mitchell. And one more thing that's really important to discuss. Do not for a second disrespect Baylor or Gonzaga by coming up in here and saying that the Zags were overrated or by coming up in here and talking junk about Gonzaga. That is a damn good team. A damn good Gonzaga team with multiple NBA players on their roster, including a guy who's a likely top five pick in the next few months. They were the number one team in the country from preseason until last night. And I don't want to hear about their conference either. They beat Kansas. They beat West Virginia. They beat Iowa. They beat Virginia. They beat five straight teams in the tournament. And most of them never even laid a hand on the Zags until Baylor Because that's how good Baylor is. So if you want to come in here and you want to take a run at Gonzaga or Mark Few, man, just keep moving. Keep moving. I've got no time for that today or tomorrow or really ever. Last night was not about Gonzaga not being good or being overrated or playing in a bullcrap conference. No, what that is is a bullcrap attempt to get somebody to look at you. It's not about that. It's about how good Baylor was. Dumping on Gonzaga is disrespecting Baylor. Don't do it because Gonzaga did not get exposed last night. They did what Houston did two nights earlier. They ran into a bleeping buzzsaw. Baylor led Houston by 25 at halftime. They were up by 19 on the Zags in the first half. They're just that good. Baylor is just that good. It's not a case of Houston and Gonzaga being that bad. It's a case of Baylor being that good. So the issue is not that people overrated Gonzaga. It's that people underrated Baylor badly. Because as much respect as everybody gave them before that game, it still was not nearly enough. And they ripped a ton more last night. And the fact is about Baylor, had they not gone on that pause midseason, we'd probably be talking about them being the first undefeated champion since 76 instead of the Zags and talking them up as a potential generational team. Hell yes, Baylor fans were lighting bleep on fire in Waco. I see them working. They had a hell of a lot to celebrate and a hell of a lot to burn after the season they just had. I mean, myself... I almost went gaucho style and burned a couch on their behalf. That's how impressive Baylor was last night. And the Baylor Bears do indeed bear down to knock off the unbeaten Gonzaga Bulldogs and claim the school's first men's basketball championship. Extremely impressive on both ends. 
with their energy, their aggression, their length. Really impressive. Hey, you know what? Small changes towards a healthier lifestyle can add up in a big way, but maybe you're not sure where to begin. Let me talk to you about Grove Collaborative. Running to the store has been pretty stressful of late, and there's nothing worse than forgetting something on your list and needing to make multiple trips. Shopping for home essentials should be easy and convenient, and that's where Grove Collaborative comes in. Healthy, plant-based, non-toxic cleaning products that work, and the good ones are actually more enjoyable to use. But where do you start and who do you trust? Grove Collaborative. Grove is the online marketplace that delivers healthy home, beauty, and personal care products directly to you. Grove Collaborative takes the guesswork out of going green. Browse the site for thousands of home, beauty, and personal care products, all guaranteed to be good for you, your family, your home, and your planet. So join over 2 million households who have trusted Grove Collaborative to make their homes happier and healthier, and shipping is fast and free on your first order. Making the switch to natural products has never been easier. For a limited time, when you go to grove.co slash Rome, you will get to choose a free gift with your first order of $30 or more. But you have to use our special code. Go to grove.co slash Rome to get your exclusive offer. That's grove.co slash Rome. He is the co-host of the Yahoo Sports College podcast, a panelist on my daily TV show back in the day. He is Pat Forty. Pat, great to have you back. How are you, Pat? Hey, Jim. Good to be with you again. Great to have you here, Pat. So take me back, Pat, to before the actual demolition started last night, before opening tip, what kind of expectations did you have for what we were going to get from Gonzaga and Baylor? I, I was fully expecting a great game, super competitive you know, probably down to the wire, two teams that had been, you know, dominant all season, uh, and boy, did that not play out. Uh, and it's just pretty shocking that from the absolute first possession onward, Baylor was just way better, much more intense, much more aggressive, probably had much more in the tank after Saturday, uh, physically tougher, faster, more athletic, better coast everything i mean it was just it was it was an amazing mismatch and it became you know pretty evident after like three minutes when jalen suggs got his second foul and it was nine to nothing you're like oh boy this thing is headed towards a beatdown status pat forty joining us pat i agree with you i mean they dominated literally every single matchup every single aspect of that game what about the foul trouble that suggs got into i'm not sure that would have made a difference anyway but how costly was that for gonzaga that he picked up that second foul so quickly I think it was very costly, especially, you know, he had really, he's their special talent and, and their best athlete by far. And you take him out and the athletic mismatch becomes more pronounced on the perimeter, you know, with, with Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler and Flagler and Teague. I mean, they, the, the guards for, for Baylor are just so fast and tough and, you know, just they're, they're great players. And you take the one guy out who can match the athleticism and the toughness, and and that was an immediate sign that uh, Gonzaga was in for a long night. Pat Forty is joining us once again. Yeah, Pat, I have to say that watching them attack the offensive glass the way they did and defend the perimeter the way they did, you knew that Gonzaga was in some really, really deep trouble. If you had to pick, Pat, what was more impressive to you about Baylor's performance, their offense or their defense? Oh, boy. You know, I, I would say... 
probably their defense just because Gonzaga had been such a brilliant offensive team, and they took away so much from them. You know, the pick-and-roll game that had been so devastating, you know, what they carved up uh, USC with and, and several other teams, they just they took that away. I mean, Timmy was overmatched, uh, and he had, you know, Drew Timmy had a great tournament, but if I were him, I would walk away from this saying, I need five months in the weight room because I'm not strong enough uh, to handle, you know, the, the kind of guys that you would see in the NBA or again in college. And, uh, you know, they just they pushed him around. They shut down the guard play. And, again, Suggs being out of there uh, for most of their, a lot of the first half, I think, was, was a major issue. So I give Baylor a lot of credit. So they, they had him scouted really well. They were prepared, and they were relentless. And it was really interesting, Jim, that before the game, the Baylor staff watched Gonzaga's warm-ups as close as I've ever seen them watch, a coaching staff watch the other team. Like, they watched every shot, every movement. And I don't know whether they were looking for injuries or susceptibilities or what, but, like, they were as locked in as I've ever seen uh, on, an op- on an opponent. We're talking to Pat Forty. So, Pat, what about Baylor then? In terms of that, I mean, you pointed this out. They're the first team since the Luau Cinder UCLA teams to win both games of the Final Four by at least 15 points. What does that tell you about how good and how dominant this crew is? Yeah, you know what? I, I, I have to acknowledge a small error there. But Villanova did it as well in 2018. So okay. that's, they're the second team in the last 53 years to do that. But still, that's rare territory. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, when really the tell was there on Saturday, you know, that Baylor did to Houston what they ultimately did to Gonzaga, that they were really ready to play their best basketball. And at the same time, Gonzaga was, you know, life and death to beat a number 11 seed UCLA. Uh, that if, if you just watched those two games, you had to walk away saying, oh, my gosh, Baylor's playing at a much higher level. So they did, and they – you know, Scott Drew said afterwards, usually you have to get lucky somewhere along the way to win a title. They never did. They won every game handily. Didn't have to. Pat Forty joining us, a senior writer for Sports Illustrated. So, Pat, what about Scott Drew? For instance, he has been criticized or was for cheating in the past, for crashing out of the NCAA tournament way too early. Now that he's won an NCAA championship, how would you describe his reputation among other coaches and around the sport right now? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It has definitely evolved, and I think this is the final evolution. Um, You know, there was criticism of him for some of the recruiting tactics. I I think he was over-aggressive early in his career and learned from some of the mistakes. I mean, he he got uh, publicly bashed by Rick Barnes and Bobby Knight and some other people, uh, and I think he, he cleaned up that part of things. And then, yeah, the question was his coaching. I mean, you know, he used to rely on his own and teams weren't very good man-to-man and they just would be susceptible to to these inexplicable flops in the tournament and that's all long gone you know i mean they've got guys now they 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 need no gimmicks they need no tricks uh they they put have he has put together great teams two years in a row last year they may have won it if there was a tournament then too and uh his i think this stamps Scott Drew is an absolutely elite coach. No doubt. When you call a Dell Technologies advisor, you are talking to somebody who is not waiting for their turn to speak. No, they actually want to hear what you have to say. They're focused on you, ready to give advice on everything from laptops to the cloud and offer tailored solutions powered by Intel vPro platform to keep your small business ready for what's next. Our advisors listen so you know your small business needs have been heard. Call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. 
Pat Forty joining us. So, Pat, of course, there is a rush in by some to try to discredit Gonzaga and what they did. I would argue that they beat four top 20 teams in their first seven games this year. They went undefeated in the regular season, the conference tournament. They beat a Big 12 team. They beat two Pac-12 teams in the NCAA tournament. So easy if you want to take a run at them. I just, Personally, I think that's just it's, it's lame. It's not a good take. In your mind, how good was this Gonzaga group this year? Yeah, no, I mean, look, you, you don't get to 31-0, you know, by being overrated. I mean, they had a phenomenal season. As you said, early on, they were blasting teams from the power conferences. Uh, and then in the tournament, they were blasting everybody until they got to UCLA. So they were an excellent team. Mark Few will win a national title. It's just a matter of when. He's going to keep recruiting better and better players, and they're going to be there. Uh, you know, you just keep knocking on the door. Eventually it opens. Phil Mickelson, you know, people, oh, he's never going to win a major. Well, not only, once he win one, wins one, he wins five. I mean, I would not be shocked if Scott Drew, or I'm sorry, Mark Few ends up with multiple national titles. Uh, it's, and he's certainly going to win one. So I, I'm not buying that criticism. The only thing that I would say that just watching last night, maybe the quality of big men that they had faced throughout this tournament and um, physical physicality of the big men uh, and in the West Coast Conference was not what they saw against Baylor. Like, like Drew Timmy was way too soft and casual. And, uh, you know, I mean, he got knocked around. He didn't get rebounds. And, and I think that's the kind of thing where you're if you spend – a season playing in the West Coast Conference, maybe there is a reality check at the end. I think that's fair. That was a physical beatdown. Baylor is so physical. They're so aggressive. Pat, before you go, the shot that Jalen Suggs hit to beat UCLA and send Gonzaga into the championship game was absolutely legendary. A legendary end to a legendary game. Does it lose any of its luster because of how last night went, or is that going to always be special? Well, I think it'll definitely always be special, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, that's one of those games that people will talk about, oh, where were you when it happened, and, they, you know, what was your reaction for, you know, for a long, long time. It does probably, in retrospect, take it down a notch. Like, you know, when Leitner made his shot, well, it wasn't the end of the season. They had to win two more games, but they did win them. So that Duke team won a national championship and needed that shot to get to the championship. Uh, Chris Jenkins' shot for Villanova five years ago was for the national championship. This shot, while just, you know, I mean, the last sequence and, and, and the other sequences in that game was so phenomenal, and I think we'll always remember them, but, but maybe now after not just losing but getting hammered in that championship game, it does take just a tiny bit of the shine off. Pat Forty, my guest. One last thought, Pat, if you don't mind. The other piece of news in college basketball, Hubert Davis, named head coach in North Carolina. Of course, they keep it within family. How do you like that fit for him and for them? I, I think it's total wait and see. You know, I, I, I can't say it's a bad hire because we don't know. can't say it's a good hire because we don't know. We have not seen Hubert Davis as a, as a head coach at any level, so... Uh, you know, was he sitting there learning from Roy Williams? Was he one of the all-time greats? Yes. But was he also part of the staff that led to some underachieving here the last two seasons? Yes. So, you know, I think just kind of repeating what had been going on doesn't necessarily prove that you can fix anything. He's got some proving to do here uh, to show that, that he can get North Carolina back to where it was in 2017 and earlier uh, as opposed to where it is right now. Um, you know, that this is Carolina. I'm not surprised they kept it within the family. But eventually, 
you got to go outside the family. Maybe this would have been the time to do it. I think there would have been some people really interested in the job, but you, you weren't going to get a Brad Stevens. You weren't going to get a Billy Donovan. You weren't going to get Jay Wright. You weren't going to get Mark Few. So, you know, if you if you weren't going to get the absolute grand slam, maybe this is what you do and just see how it works. He is a senior writer for Sports Illustrated and, again, the recipient of 18 national awards from the Associated Press Sports Editor, and you can listen to him as the co-host of the Yahoo Sports College Podcast. Pat Forty, my guest. Pat, thanks so much. Great job as always, and always good to have you on the show. Hey, my pleasure, Jim. Good to talk to you again. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Of course. This time, though, don't make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire, and it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? All right, so two of the worst-kept secrets in football are this. The Jets want to get rid of Sam Darnold. The Panthers want a quarterback. So what happens? The Jets trade Darnold to the Panthers. You know, that was one of those, hey, you got your peanut butter in my chocolate moments. Like, there was no way that was not going to happen, right? The Jets end up sending Darnold to Carolina for a sixth in this year's draft and a second and a fourth in next year's draft, which all points to a third very open secret. The Jets are going to select Zach Wilson with that second pick in the draft. And there are a number of different ways that you can look at this. Number one, tip your cap to the Jets because the trade completes an amazing streak. They've now traded away six straight first round picks six I mean that is awesome that is so terrible that's incredible that really is outstanding they have dealt away six consecutive first round picks nothing but respect for that organization stepping up to the plate every single year and missing on finding guys who are either good or want to stay around because it's always one of those two things They either can't pick the right guy, or if they pick the right guy, that guy wants nothing to do with them. Some of those picks were bad, and New York wanted to get rid of them, and some of them were good, and they wanted to get rid of the Jets. And while it would be very easy to clown them for missing on yet another first-round pick, I do want to say that I'm actually impressed that Joe Douglas got something in return. They managed to get three picks, including a second-round pick, for a player that everybody knew they had to move. So for Douglas, that's actually pretty solid work. I mean, it only matters if they actually get usable players with those picks, but at least they've given themselves a shot. Now, if I were to rank the winners and losers in this deal, why don't we start with the winners? The biggest winner is Sam Darnold, and it's not even close. Number one, he's getting away from the Jets. Number two, he's going to the Panthers and will instantly walk into a situation where he's got the best offense coordinator that he's ever worked with and the most weapons he's ever had in his NFL career. And number three, he's getting away from the Jets. Can't imagine the scar tissue this dude has after how his career started in New York and then the last two years in particular. No wonder Darnold and his crew were partying yesterday and having a little get-together with black and teal balloons. Talking about a guy who had to endure two years with Adam Gase. Now he gets to go hang out with Joe Brady and Matt Rule. Man, I'd blow up some balloons and slam some expensive booze too if I were him. 
The other fascinating thing about the deal is what it means for the Panthers. Number one, pretty clear they're not sold on Teddy Bridgewater, nor are they in love with that contract they gave him last season. And I've said this before. I'll say it again right now, and I'll say it again later on. The trades this year have proven yet again the NFL, more than anything else, is a quarterback's league. Either you have one or you don't. It's that black and white. It's that simple. It is a quarterback's league. Either you have one or you don't. If you've got a quarterback, you've got a shot. If you don't, you better be doing everything in your power to try to get one. And that's what the Panthers have been doing for months now. That's why they tried to make a deal for Matthew Stafford, but came up short. That's why they've been jonesing so hard to get Deshaun Watson. But that's certainly not going to happen now. The trade for Darnold also means that they did not like their chances of getting a quarterback that they wanted with the eighth pick. Not after San Francisco traded up to the three spot. The Niners trading up that spot is further proof. It doesn't matter how much talent you have on your roster. If you do not have a quarterback you believe in, and clearly the Niners didn't in Jimmy G, it just doesn't matter. So now the Panthers go with Darnold. And while Darnold is not Stafford or Watson or Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson even, he could still be something. It's hard to evaluate Darnold given the complete and utter garbage that he had with the Jets. Like, how much of that is on Darnold? How much of that was on Gase? How much of that was on the Jets being the Jets? Does a trip down to Carolina and the chance to wash the stink of the Jets off of him change anything? Or maybe does it change everything? The Panthers obviously think it will. Honestly, I could see it happening. I could see this going really well for Darnold. Why would I say that? I don't know. Look what happened to Ryan Tannehill when he got away from Adam Gase. He went from being a bust to a Pro Bowl quarterback. Now, I'm not saying that Sam Darnold is a Pro Bowler in waiting, but I would definitely say that we have not seen the best of him. There's something else there. There's potential there that the Jets were never able to get out of him, and the Panthers are guessing that they can. Again, I'm not going to guarantee this guy's a Pro Bowler, but I can guarantee you this. I'd much rather be the Panthers with Sam Darnold than the Bears with Andy Dalton. At least you have some hope with Darnold. Bottom line, can they unlock his potential? Well, if you had to pick a coaching staff to do it, Carolinas would be right near the top of the list. And if the Panthers can do that, they've got their quarterback of the future. And if they can't, they just continue their search. To me, Darnold is a huge winner. I mean, how bad was it with the Jets? My man was seeing ghosts during games. Seeing ghosts. Right. You know what that was, Sam? That ghost? That ghost was your head coach draining your soul. You know, uh, Adam Gase. Friendly ghost. The friendliest ghost you know. Brain not very bright. Won't put up a fight. Adam Gase, the friendly ghost. I know it can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or you're running late, to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting on a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not there yet, you might feel a bit tempted to try to sneak across the tracks. Don't ever do it. To the naked eye, trains appear to be further away and moving slower than they actually are, and they can't stop quickly. Even if the engineer 
engineer hits the emergency brakes right away, it can take a train over a mile to stop. Over one mile to stop. Think about that. By that time, it's too late, and the result is a potentially deadly crash. The point is, you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The train can't stop quickly. Even if it sees you, it's going to end in disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way. And you just need to remember one thing. Stop. Trains can't. Paid for by NHTSA. We are joined by Rick Carlisle. Rick, it is always good to have you on the show. Good to have you back, too. Rick, how are you? Uh, Jim, I'm well. Good to be back in the jungle. Good to have you, too, Rick. I hope that uh, that phone connection is good. That sounded a little bit jarbled. But let's get into it. So you're coming off a 111-103 win over Utah last night. I want to get to Luka's performance in a moment, but you held the Jazz to their lowest point total in nearly two months. What was your approach on defense, and then how pleased were you with the results? Well, we were pleased with the results. Um, you know, we played a, a series with them back in um, January where we played two games in three days out in Utah, and that did not go well. We, uh, we had three guys who were returning from COVID protocols and, uh, you know, having your first game after two and a half or three weeks, um, at 4,300, uh, feet above sea level, <laughs> you know, against the best team in the league is, is not ideal. And they smacked us pretty good in both games. And, uh, but we've done, uh, some good things since we've gotten better as a team, we've gotten better defensively. Um, we felt going into last night, we needed to be much more physical than we were in the two games in January, uh, we were able to do that. Um, you know, we had some good fortune. You know, they didn't they didn't make every shot, but uh, I think some of that was how hard we were playing and how together we were playing. And um, you know, it was a great win for us. Rick Carlisle joining us. You know, Rick, to that point, you dropped those two games that you mentioned back in January to Utah. Part of that was a tough run at the end of January as the team dealt with injuries and COVID both. I mean, the kind of run or stretch that might even destroy a team and even a season. But starting February 3rd, you've gone 20-8 and since then. What's that tell you about this particular group that they never did give in? Yeah, you know, before the season started, you know, we looked at the schedule and 13 of 19 on the road to start. you know, those 13 on the road were heavy with, you know, championship caliber opponents. And, you know, we knew that the the schedule would test us in ways that we probably couldn't imagine, you know, with this type of situation and a, you know, a shortened off season and, and everything else. And, uh, and it was rough. Um, and then we actually hit a COVID patch, as I mentioned, and that made it even rougher. Um, we had a six-game losing streak at one point, but it's a resilient group. Um, it's a group of, of great guys, uh, you know, led by uh, Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis, and they just they, they hung in. Um, you know, they believed in the importance of defense and continuing to work at being a better defensive team, and we've done some very good things defensively over those you know, last three, four weeks, which has really helped give us uh, an opportunity to go on a run here. Mavericks head coach Rick Carlisle, my guest, and as you mentioned, Luca, who had another monster night, 31 points, nine boards, eight assists. I mean, incredible numbers, and yet it's pretty much just an average offensive output for him, which is insane for a 22-year-old who's only played 177 career games. Like at this point, Rick, how would you describe what it is about Luca that makes him so special? Is it physical talent, or is it something else that separates him? Well, he's got the physical ability. Jim, he, he's a very underrated athlete. Um, you know, he is big. 
He is very, very strong. He is super quick, and he is fast. Um, you know, being six seven, six seven and a half, and having a big frame um, and having that kind of strength, um, you know, it doesn't usually equate to the words quick and fast. Um, but he's quick, fast, powerful. Um, you know, he has the ability to accelerate and decelerate very quickly. That's why he's so great on the on, on the step back shots. You know, he can go forward and pull it back and stop and still maintain his balance. And he's shooting those better than ever this year. Um, but he also just has kind of that sixth sense about things that are going to happen um, and seeing them before they happen. You know, much like Magic Johnson did, much like Larry Bird did, you know, LeBron James has that kind of uh, ability or kind of sixth sense. Jason Kidd had it. Um, and so, you know, the, the game, you know, his, his bandwidth for understanding the game and, and seeing things as they are happening and as they will happen is very, very unique. This guy's special. That's high praise, and deservedly so. We're talking to Rick Carlisle. So, Rick, as I mentioned off the top, I'm really curious about this. It's your 13th season with the Mavericks, which is an absolute eternity in the NBA. It's a testament to how good of a coach you are. But at the same time, being a head coach in the NBA can be a real grind. So how have you managed to stay fresh and motivated year in and year out? What's that process like? Well, you know, I love the job. Um, I love the challenge. Um you know, I've been fortunate to have great ownership in all three places I've been, Detroit, Indiana, and here in Dallas with Mark Cuban. Um, you know, we've had terrific players. You know, we had, I was privileged to work with Dirk Nowitzki for the last 11 years of his career, um, Jason Kidd for, you know, three or four years um, before he moved on and played, played with New York. You know, we won a championship with that group. Jason Terry is a great player. Um, you know, Sean Marion, Tyson Chandler. I mean, you've got to have great players in the fold to last as long as I've lasted here. And then, you know, we went through a tough rebuild for three years. But, uh, you know, the result was that we were able to draft Luca. Um, we were able to trade for Kristaps uh, Porzingis, Tim Hardaway. And, and this, and this, this kind of gave us, um, you know, a, a new beginning. And, uh, you know, from from that point on, you know, we we've gone through some of the challenges of of a young team, but I've got a great staff. Um, I got you know we've got young players here that that want to get better, that want to win. Um, you know, I, I enjoy the challenge of of kind of you know moving from one era of the NBA to the next to the next. Um, you know, the, the the players are growing up in a different world now with with social media and and a lot of those external forces and factors and it's been fascinating to learn what that's all about my my 16 and three quarter year old daughters help me you know understand a lot of that stuff and uh and look every day i come in knowing that there is much much more to learn and that uh and that really gets me going I like that. Rick Carlisle is joining us. And then, Rick, last summer, Bill Walton did an interview with The Athletic. He was talking about how much he admires you, how proud he is of you. I've got to ask, what was he like, the big man as a teammate back in the day? <laughs> well, wow. How long do we have? As much time as you need, <laughs> Bill would say, how As much long time as you need. <laughs> you know, I I met Bill in the, in the fall of 1985, and... You know, it, it changed my life in so many ways. Two years later, I called Bill on the phone. It was the fall of 87. Um, I had a, 
a girl that I was dating named Donna, and she was uh, she was going to grad school in in D.C. and I and I called Bill and I said I said Bill, listen, I'm in D.C. Um, I've got this new girl that I'm that I'm dating that I really like. The Grateful Dead are here playing at the Capitol Center tonight. Is is there any way possible? You know, I could get in there to 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 see the show. <laughs> he goes, Hey, listen, just go to the back door, ask for Dennis McAnally, tell him you play with the Boston Celtics, and everything will be just fine. Wow! And that's exactly and that's exactly what happened. And uh, you know, we we had a phenomenal time at the show. Um, we had two laminate passes. One was one was a Bill Walton pass that I had, and then um, uh, they gave they gave Donna um, Bill's wife uh, Susie Walton, his wife at the time, I should say. And so we were walking around in, in the in the back, and during the intermission, we walked in a room, and we're we're sitting with Jerry Garcia, Bob Weir, and Mickey Hart. You know, three of the uh, mainstays from the den had a casual conversation with them and, and and needless to say the day was was successful and we ended up getting married and so you know we're 20 years of marriage and that night um and that gesture by my great friend bill walton was very much appreciated what an amazing story now was there not somebody also involved named ramrod who's ramrod well, Ramrod was uh, became a great friend as well he was was one of the stage guys and um his name was Ramon Rodriguez, and you know, hence, hence the nickname Ramrod. And he became uh, a very close friend. Um, he passed away several years ago, uh, very sad. But uh, Ramrod was the guy that night that took care of us. And you know, when you have, when you experience something like that, uh, where you're standing on basically on stage watching the show and then mingling with Jerry Garcia and Bob Weir, you know, at halftime. Um, you know, you, you, you make some special friends in a hurry. And so, uh, but it, it, none of it would have happened had I not had the great fortune to meet uh, the great Bill Walton. Such a great story. Rick Carlisle, my guest. Rick, one last thought, if you don't mind. For instance, you talked about the players you've had. You've talked about your great staff. Let me ask you about Hubert Davis, because he was with you. He played for you in Detroit, and you were one of the guys that he mentioned as coaches that he learned the most from. He was just named head coach at North Carolina. What do you remember about him as a player, and then how do you think he'll fare as a head coach? He'll be great, uh, Jim. He's He's got an amazing personality. Um, he's got a, a, a magnetism with, with the way he relates to people. Um, I had him for a very short time in Detroit. You know, we were short on point guards, and we actually converted him to a part-time point guard. He was a great shooter, a great guy coming off screens and stuff, but he, he was able to adapt to that position. And, um, and I think that's probably what he was talking about. But, you know, I, I was hoping that, that he would be a guy that would emerge as, as, as the candidate for that job, and it was, uh, it was phenomenal to hear. And I know that anybody that knows Hubert Davis, and so many people know him, I mean, you know, he's been in the game for you know, three-plus decades now, um, extremely happy for him, and he'll do, a, he'll do an amazing job in North Carolina. And then, Rick, finally, like, for instance, you're right, his personality is absolutely amazing. But when you have move over just one chair or even two chairs, we know how far that move actually really is. What do you remember about being a head coach for the first time and the sort of transition you had to make? Yeah, it's, you know, there's no way to really 100% prepare for it. You've got to move over. You've got to sit there. You've got to, you know, you've got to deal with all these different forces that are coming at you all the time. Um and 
you know, it's just, <clears throat> it's hard, it's hard to explain. You know, it, it, people, people watch a, a game on television, but when you sit in that seat, you know, you have individual relationships with each player. You have to manage minutes, which, which is, you know, takes great communication. Um, you have to manage a coaching staff so that your, your messaging is consistent from top to bottom. You deal with the press every single day. So your PR director is coming at you with uh, media requests. Um, every day there, there, there are questions that come up, you know, win or lose about the team and how are you dealing with this? How's this guy dealing with that? Um, and you want to keep messaging consistent there. Uh, and if you're in the NBA, you know, you've got a, a relationship with your owner. And, and you know, I, I've been very fortunate in all three places that I've been um, but Dallas has been has been extra special because of my relationship that I developed over the past 13 years with Mark Cuban. You know, it's based on respect, trust, um, and a high level of communication. But you know, the short answer to your question is it's it's a it's a it's an 18 inch move to the left or the right, depending on where your bench is circulated. That is that is absolutely. Um, different in every way, but it, it, it tests your capacities um, to communicate and work with everybody at every level of an organization or, or a, a college program, you know, instead of an owner, you know, with, uh, with University of North Carolina, you know, Hubert will be dealing closely with his athletic director and the dynamics while different, you know, are, are going to be quite similar. He is the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. 13 years as a head coach there, and once again, an NBA champ as a player and a coach. Dallas is in first in the Southwest, and they're at Houston tomorrow night. Rick, let me reset. I appreciate this relationship that we have. Like To your point about dealing with the media, I want to say for the record, not every NBA coach is going to come on shows ever, and you've always made it a priority to come on this show, and I want to thank you for that and tell you how much I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Rick. Okay, thank you, Jim. Be well. All right, so an update on Paul Pierce. And I say that because yesterday I brought you the wild story. Former 19-year NBA vet, current ESPN NBA analyst, Paul Pierce, broadcasting his Friday night to the entire world. In case you missed it, and I'm not sure how you could have missed it, but in case you did, quick reset. That was a Friday night, which included poker, booze, blunts, exotic dancers, an alleged solicitation of a paid professional on Instagram Live, and the invention of a new country called Turkeys. He's from Istanbul. From Turkeys. We've been to Turkeys before. Did you like it? In other words, a standard Wednesday night for Rit. Just kidding, old man. This dude, Paul Pierce, essentially acted out Snoop Dogg's gin and juice lyrics on Instagram Live Friday night. That was me back in the day, just sipping up gin. No juice, just sipping up gin. Anyway, that was yesterday's news. Today's news is that I have to amend Pablo's title to former ESPN NBA analyst because Mickey Mouse just handed the truth his walking papers. The mouse broke him off. Turns out the mouse and their parent company, Disney, 
We're not all that down with their employee, Paul Pierce, introducing exotic dancers to the internet and demanding one of them show off her accent to all the live viewers. Let me hear accent. Say hi, accent. Hi, guys. Say hi, accent. I thought she said she hid her accent. Initially, I thought it was, I don't have an accent, or maybe she hid her accent. Whatever. He has taken to calling her accent. So now it's been a few days since Paul Pierce either intentionally or unintentionally rolled tape for the entire world of what he was up to Friday night. And honestly, I still can't believe it. I mean, I really can't believe that. Not that I can't believe what he got into. I can't believe that there wasn't somebody to knock that phone right out of his hands. How could anybody be that dumb or that careless? And again, it's not what he was doing. It's how he looked while he was doing it and the fact that he broadcasted how he looked while he was doing it. I said it yesterday. The man was on one. The term high as a kite is about to be high as Paul Pierce. Or at least it should be after my man's look Friday night. You want to talk about faded. Dude was on some kind of medical grade salad. The kind of dro that sent Thurgood, Scarface, and Brian flying out their apartment window in half-baked. So ESPN handling Paul Pierce a banker's box and locking him out of the building yesterday was not that big of a surprise. In fact, the bigger surprise would have been if they let him skate, if they kept him. It's not that he was doing anything. And by the way, one thing about that group, I know how they work. I work there. I know how they do things. If you are really, really important to them and you're a star at what you do, they'll find a way to look beyond something like that. But if they pretty much have had it with you or you're not one of them or they don't really like your work that much and you give them a reason to break you off, they will. They will. And they did. Because the fact is, it's not that he was doing anything illegal. It's not that he was even necessarily doing anything wrong. Kind of depends on your personal moral compass. But I want to make very clear, I'm not judging what he did. I'm judging how stupid it was to broadcast what he did. Because this is not about the law. This is not about freedom of speech. There was no constitutional right that I can see that was violated. It's just about optics and how bad of a look that was in the eyes of his employer. One of ESPN's lead analysts cannot be the internet's new favorite meme. Not for that. You can't be memeable for that. Looking all faded with strippers twerking in the background at his feet. I mean, maybe we'll live in a world one day where that's all possible. Because believe me, there are things possible now that were not possible five years ago. The world is changing. It hasn't changed that much yet, though. Like, again, I'll never understand how with everybody who was in that house with him at that house party or with everybody who knows him and cares about him, how did somebody, how didn't anybody matumbo that blower right out of his hand? It's not like this guy was in the back room getting all stupid all by himself and nobody had access. The man was at a poker table surrounded by lots of people. One of them had to notice Paul freaking Pierce was rolling tape on himself, inviting Monica to come on through and make some money. Monica, you should be here. You can make some money, girl. Stop playing. Monica, what you doing? If you're in L- if you're in L.A., come through. 
Telling somebody in the comments to come through and make some money on Instagram Live while getting a shoulder massage by a 90% new dancer is pretty incredible, especially for somebody in that capacity or incapacitation or both. But still, to me, not nearly as unbelievable. As unbelievable as that all is, still not as unbelievable as somebody not rushing up on this guy and slapping that horn right out of his hands. Now, if you thought that Paul Pierce would dropkick his phone into L.A. traffic and swear off social media for the rest of his life, given the last 72 hours and how they've gone for him, you would be wrong. You do not know the truth. Probably can't even handle the truth because my man was right back at it after getting canned and posting a really bizarre video of himself getting a huge kick out of the whole thing and laughing it all off. Like, strangely, like the rest of us, he seems to think the whole thing is pretty hilarious. (laughs) That's it. That's the video. And the caption to the video of him laughing. (laughs) Hashtag big things coming soon. Stay tuned. Make sure you smile. Hashtag the truth shall set you free. (laughs) Yeah, all right, P. Whatever you say, the truth will set you free. The truth. What truth? Like, he sounds like some dude waiting for an opportunity to tell his side of the story. Dude, we saw your side of the story. Your side of the story was having a drink in one hand, a blower in the other hand, rolling tape on the entire thing, blunt in your mouth, a stripper behind you, and then more at your feet. That's your side of the story. The truth didn't set you free. The truth Got you fired. (laughs) As for the big things coming soon. What, like bigger than hosting the NBA show on ESPN? Because that's pretty big. I also love it when people tell you on the internet to, quote, stay tuned. Here's a free life lesson from somebody who has been on the internet for a long time. Nobody stays tuned to anything. Especially not to people who are no longer in front of them anymore. You're either in the game or you're not. And the internet moves at the speed of light. Nobody is sitting around waiting for Paul to tell them what's next. They just move on. Because every day, the internet gets a little busier, a little more crowded, a little noisier, and a lot more congested and competitive. Nobody cares enough or has enough attention span to, quote, stay tuned to what's next for anybody at all. You have to stay in front of people as much as you can, as long as you can. And sitting on the NBA show on ESPN was a pretty good way to stay in front of people. And now that's been ripped from you. Sitting outside on a bench laughing into the camera and telling people to stay tuned? Yeah, that's probably not happening. Not for you, not for anybody. (laughs) What I'm saying, my guy, is you had your chair. Now your other chair... The one with wheels is rolling you out of the game again. Like, I hope you do come back. Just know that we're not staying tuned. No one is. 
nature of the beast these days. And here's something else to think about while you wait on those, quote, big things which are coming. Man, you could have had your cake and you could have slammed it too. You could have partied your ass off on Friday and still had your job on Monday. All you had to do was not broadcast the party on Friday. Oh, well, there's always next time. Maybe. (laughs) Uh. Let's go to Anaheim. Mickey. Mickey in Anaheim. Hey, Mickey, what's up? Hawaiian Tropic Room. How the heck are you, buddy? Oh, wow. It's Mickey Mouse. Incredible. The mouse is up in here. What's up, Mick? Oh, man, I got one heck of a beef today, you know? What is it with these freaking celebrities you hire? You know, they don't have the damn sense to switch their phone off with their hanging with hookers, rolling a block, allegedly. And look, for the record, we knew he was trouble, okay? I put Pluto on him to follow him everywhere. But damn it, Pluto's got the crime problem too, Rome. Why did you run Mickey, Alvin? Not a very good call. Mickey Mouse just called to say, I got a beef with celebrities who do that, but I knew that he was a problem, and I put Pluto on him to follow him around, but Pluto also has a problem with the Kron, which we'll talk about. A 2021 NFL draft prospect. That draft gets underway on April 29th. We are joined by Osa Odigizua. Osa, good to have you on the show. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Man, I'm doing great. I'm doing great, and it's good to have you on. You did a great job on my name, by the way. My man, I had to work that, you know? I had to work that, but I'm ready for you. I'm prepared. Appreciate you. All right, appreciate you, too. So the draft is less than four weeks away. What has the draft evaluation and preparation process been like for you? It's been good, you know? Just trying to have fun with it. A lot of meetings, interviews, and things like that. So just trying to continue to have fun with it, appreciate the process, and just treat it as a blessing it is, you know? No, I get that. So when the process begins, for instance, when you get out of school and then you go down to Exos in Carlsbad, what's a typical day like for you at Exos? So we will lift in the morning. Well, we'll do speed work in the morning, and then we'll lift in the afternoon for an hour. And in between that, I get PT, do interviews, and just take care of myself that way, you know, as far as, uh, like I said, do it whatever I need to do to get myself that. So I jumped in on your side. I was going to ask you about the weight room since you mentioned that. Like during your time at UCLA, you were named to the athletics annual freaks list. Some of the numbers that were mentioned are jaw-dropping. You squat more than 700. You bench more than 420. You've got a 32-inch vert, 15% body fat. Let me ask you about the weight room numbers. Some guys love, love lifting. Other guys do it because it makes them better on the field. What's your personal relationship with the weight room? Do you love it, or is it just something you've got to get through and work you have to put in? I love lifting. I've been, I'm 22 years old, and I've been lifting since I was 12. And I would have started lifting sooner, but my brothers didn't let me because they said it stunts your growth when you start lifting too, too young. So I've always loved to be strong and, and be a guy that's very muscular. And I see myself lifting even after I play football. 
That's it's really interesting you say that because I'm fascinated by guys. When guys get out, when they've had to sacrifice and pay that price for so long, some guys are like, "Man, I've done the work. I'm not doing it anymore." But others, it's just it's a lifestyle. It's what makes them feel good. It's good for their head. It's good for their body. So you've already made that decision. You'll always lift. Now, your older brother went through the process a couple of years back. What did you learn from watching him deal with this process? Well, you know, I just learned to be able to make sure I'm mentally prepared for the stress that it takes, uh, like that it comes with, you know what I mean? Just uh, a long year, you know, a long rookie year, the most games that I've ever played in my life. So just being ready for that. So the best advice that he's told me is taking care of my body as far as like making sure my body's in good shape and it's going to be able to withstand all those games. And then just when I have a chance to unwind, that I should really take advantage of that so that I don't feel as stressed. And it doesn't feel like such a long year, and it hasn't. Got to recover. Osa Odigizua is joining us. Now, you recently had your pro day, and it's during a year when there is not a combine. So how did you go about approaching that pro day? What did you want to show everybody? You know, I just wanted to show them that I'm an athletic guy. I'm an explosive guy. Just what to confirm what they see on tape, you know what I mean? And then any misconceptions that they have about me, I just want to make sure that they know those were purely misconceptions you know what I mean so just trying to display my put my best foot forward in every aspect of the day so give me a misconception or two that people do not have right about you that you want to set the record straight on I mean I had heard something about my finishing each play so I just wanted to make sure with every drill that I did I was finishing all the drills as hard as I possibly could just to show them that that's in my DNA. That's something that you're going to get from me. Every rep is a good finish. I'm going to give you a play that you did finish. There are a number of highlights from your career that we could talk about, but one definitely I want to hit on was that 51-yard fumble return for a TD against Washington back in 2017. You're breaking tackles. you remember about that play and what it feel like to get in the end zone, and how is it? It was great. You know, uh, looking back at the film, my teammates did a great job making a convoy. I had some good blockers in front and behind me, so I only had to break, like, one tackle. So I feel like that was a great was a great job. I was young at the time, so there was young guys in. So one of the guys, uh, Greg Rogers, who was there, he uh, forced the fumble, and I was just right place, right time, scooped it up, and just ran as fast as I could. <laughs> Show some athletic you know, ability. It's a lot It's a lot different running away from people than it is chasing people. You know what I mean? <laughs> Right? So what did that feel like, man? How gassed were you when you got to the end zone? Or did you feel great? I felt great. I was pretty tired, though. I can't lie. You were a young guy, man. You had to work on your stamina, and you're there. So you yeah. also said that Aaron Donald is somebody you look up to. somebody, And that obviously makes a lot of sense. When you watch him on tape, what are the things that jump out to you about what makes this guy so unique and then maybe something that you might apply to your game watching him? Um, just trying to get my hands and feet moving together. As one unit, everything that he does is very coordinated with his hands and feet. His footwork is elite, and that's why he's one of the best players. His hand fighting is amazing, and then just his activity from whistle to whistle. He's a very active guy. You never see him, like, taking plays off or anything like that. So I feel like just watching him and emulating that play style, a very high-motor guy who's very coordinated, I feel like that's what makes him so elite. Oh, so I mentioned off the very top that you had a great, great wrestling career. You were a three-time state champion in Oregon. You ended your career with 131 straight wins. 131 straight wins. Like, how valuable has wrestling been to you in terms of understanding leverage and the use of your hands on the D-line? 
it's very important, you know what I mean? I feel like I can always tell when a guy wrestles or, like, if I didn't know, like Creed Humphreys, when I was going against him at the Senior Bowl, you know, that's a guy that's pretty good. And, I like, we were, we were giving each other uh, back and forth at the Senior Bowl. So when I heard that he wrestled afterwards, I was like, okay, that makes sense. You know what I mean? And then, you know, Kenny Clark is a guy who I look up to as well, a UCLA guy that I've been looking at for a while. And one of the reasons why he's so dominant and athletic at his size is because he wrestled in high school. His, his coordination and his hands are great. You know what I mean? He takes on those double teams. He has great leverage and pad level. And that's all stuff that translates over from wrestling. And even Aaron Donald wrestled in high school. So, you know, there's just examples upon examples that I could give you of guys that wrestled in high school and are excelling in football in the trenches. So let me ask you this. Like, it's going to help in terms of leverage. It can help in the way you use your hands. Did wrestling help you from a standpoint of mindset? You're somebody who works a lot on your mindset. Did wrestling help with that? Definitely. I feel like it helped me. It changed me a lot because it helped me build a positive mindset. So, you know, when you're doing things that are very hard and extremely tough, you got to be able to trick yourself into feeling good still. So that just helped me to be able to bring energy into a workout environment and be very positive and effective in a positive manner. You know what I mean? And I try and take that into the team, the locker room, all that, and just be positive as much as possible. Oh, said, dude, you just said you said something really grabbed my attention. You said that when you're going into things that are really difficult, you need to trick yourself into being positive. This is this is coming from somebody who obviously thinks about mindset, works on mindset. How do you improve your mindset, and how do you trick yourself into thinking something really positive? I always just try and find the silver lining. That's why I'm a big silver lining guy. So even if something's really hard, I just know like. If I tough it out through this, I'm going to get better for it. So just the motivation and the desire to, to be great is something that I feel like motivates me a lot when it comes to doing hard things and can help me be positive about it because I know it's like, man, it might suck right now, but on the back end of it is improvement. You know what I mean? Dude, you obviously are somebody embracing the suck. So really quickly, are you reading any videos online? Who are the kind of guys that you look to? Who are your mentors or gurus when it comes to mindset? I would say, like, one of the one of the things that I still rely on and one of the things that I was introduced to in high school was this book by Dave Schwartz, The Magic of Thinking Big. And we would listen to this part that says thinking big starts with believing big. So, one, it has to see your desires have to be big, and that helps you believe that you can go achieve things like that. And just starting with, with the ability to, to think about things that you want and visualize stuff like that and just – if you can see it in your mind, that's something that you can believe is achievable. And then just positive thoughts, you know what I mean? They talk about Mr. Triumph and Mr. Defeat in the book, and that's something that I still talk about to this day. So if you're always saying positive things, you're going to internalize that, and vice versa. If you're always saying negative things, you're going to internalize that. So whichever one you decide to be is which one is, you know what I mean, is going to have the most effect on your life. So you want to be... Mr. Triumph, you're, you want to be talking about positive things and saying positive things all the time and always looking for that silver lining and always trying to find that positive spin that you can put on anything. You know what I mean? It's a choice. And you know what I love about that? that that's an old-school book now. That is that is an old-school book. Like, you found that book. That book was written, like, in the 50s. Some of you are more impressed. All right, so finally, that what do you— That uh, was my wrestling coach, uh, Ron Holyoke, was the one that introduced me. And, you know, we—it wasn't just me that was successful— 
even though I did have a lot of success individually, our wrestling team was very successful too. And that's why I'd say was because of our mindset. We were very positive and we had good energy in the way we approached our practice and, and everything, you know? For sure. In fact, I would even tell you that when I was your age, and I'm a middle-aged dude now, when I was your age, I read that book, and that book resonated with me too. Have you allowed yourself to think about what it's going to feel like to hear your name called and then find out where you're going to live and work? Yeah. You know, if you can see it in your mind, you can make it happen. No doubt. you got to visualize these great things. Osa Odigizua, former UCLA D lineman, a consensus first-teamer in the Pac-12, and he's getting ready for the NFL draft. That's how you close the show. Osa, listen, great to have you on. Nice to meet you. Good luck with all that. And as soon as you find out where you're going to live and where you're going to work, I'm going to find you again. We'll get caught up. Thank you. Yeah, sounds good. Good night now!